our sound guy back there, Alex. Appreciate you all. And I appreciate you all for being here this morning, too. And, um, I'm excited today to share a message, but also it's a little intimidating because it talks about sin. Everybody goes, here we go. It's going to be one of those. <laughs> but this is part of our Jesus 2020 series, which Pastor Waller has scripted. And I've asked to be a part of it. And so he's come up with this whole idea. Of course, we're in the midst of a crazy election, as you know, and everything that goes with it. And every day, you hope it gets better, but it seems to get worse. And where everybody's frustrated and throwing things at the TV and <laughs> buying new TVs and breaking those. And uh, it's, it, it seems like so much. And then, and then you know... We look at Jesus and, and you know, we, we call it Jesus 2020. And as I've said before, if you, if you want to vote for Jesus and write him in on your ticket, that's your prerogative. I would suggest you write in a candidate who's actually running. I don't think Jesus will come down and claim the presidency just because we vote for him. But the point of all this is to show us, because we get to see in the United States, we get to see our candidates that are running, not only for our U.S. government, but also individual states and even in our local counties, and, and we get to see what they're all about. So the Jesus 2020 thing is, what is Jesus all about? And that's what we've been talking about, and today we're going to dive into this a little bit, but before we get started, I want to read from you from Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, in the New International Version. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of, a, out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. That's, that's just weird right there. A, a man came from the tombs to meet Jesus when he got out of the boat. It's just kind of like eerie sounding, right? And this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is sobering to get started with. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This person who was running around like a like a madman cutting himself, saw Jesus, ran to him, and fell on his knees. And he shouted at the top of his voice. He said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had just said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He wasn't talking about the guy. He was talking to the spirit that was within him. And the answer was, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again, the spirit, and again, not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus. The demons begged Jesus. They knew who their master is. Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission 
and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending to the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. That's normal, right? When there's something going on in your town, everybody flocks to it or at least posts about it. Everybody came out to see what was going on. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That's kind of weird. I would be more afraid of this guy roaming through the tombs, cutting himself, screaming and yelling at people, but now he's dressed and in his right mind, and now they're afraid. We could, that's a separate sermon, but they were afraid because something changed, so something more powerful than what he was possessed with changed him. So it continues, those who had seen him, seen it, told the people what had happened to the demons that passed from the man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Again, weird, but different sermon. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The man that he had just ordered demons out of his body begged to go with Jesus. I would want to go with him too, knowing what he just did for me. But Jesus didn't let him. Instead, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the disciples, the, uh, Decapolis, which is basically a um, ten towns area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, many of you probably have heard this story before about, I know as growing up in a Christian school and going, and when we read, read stuff like that, it's like, yeah, this is cool. Some, some crazy guy got possessed and, and Jesus did all these things. And yeah, it's, you know, but this, this right here, is Jesus showing that he is our deliverer. Of the many things that we've talked about with Jesus already, we know he's our savior, he's our miracle worker, he restores us. Today we're talking about the fact that he is our deliverer. Jesus is the key to the equation of hope and everything that we are talking about today. He is the answer. So this story goes, Jesus and disciples went across the sea, and they, and they landed on, on, on the shore, and this town called the Decapolis, or the Ten Towns area, people were there, and the first thing, of course, we just read it, Jesus saw the, this man coming up to him, and it had to be a sight. I mean, if he's, if he's cutting himself with stones all day and all night, he couldn't have looked very good. Probably, they, by the description, they would try to bind him up, and he would cut those bounds. And I don't know if he still had, I just picture him dragging around chains with him because he can't get those off, but he got most of it. He's literally possessed and controlled by not just one demon, but technically a legion of demons, which is a lot of demons. This man is in bondage. He is enslaved, and he is bound. Notice the torment of the, ba- the bound. The Bible says, Night and day he roamed through the graves and hills, screaming out and slashing himself with sharp stones. Sounds like a Halloween movie. Really. 
terrifying to see. If, if you saw that in this community, what would you do? There's no rest for this man who's bound. Only torment. The absence of peace, the Bible says. Day and night, no rest and no relief from what he's being tormented with. I'm going to pick on Alex today because I've already picked on him once, but he just recently had some wisdom teeth pulled. That is torment for some people. This man was struggling with things so much more powerful than that. So many forces that we can't even explain day and night, day and night, roaming around. He had to look like a zombie. That's what I picture. Also note verses three and four. No one could restrain him. He couldn't be chained. Couldn't be tied down. He had been tied up many times with chains and ropes, but he broke them. This man was chained up and tied to help him. People knew that this poor guy, they didn't know why, but he was roaming around. And they were worried that he was going to hurt himself, probably hurt others. But they were concerned about his safety. And they, that's why they would tie him up. I don't, I don't want you to, you know, if we tie his hands, maybe he won't be able to scratch himself with rocks. They lived in fear and sadness at this same person. You know, it's, it's scary enough to see somebody wander out from a tomb doing this. But also they felt sad because he's struggling. Bondage. It's bondage that he was in. He was enslaved by it. Doesn't that describe maybe some people we know today or maybe it's ourselves? Do we feel like we're in bondage to something that we just can't get away from? I'm not talking about, I mean, if you're like this guy, see me after church. But if we think, we think in levels of bondage, but bondage is bondage. And we're going to learn in a minute, it's very difficult for human beings to escape from bondage like that. And, and, and here's the word that nobody likes to hear, but bondage comes from sin. Let me ask you, how many moms and dads and grandparents in this room know somebody or somebody in your family that has some kind of addiction to something and it's difficult to watch and it's hard to see what they're going through? There's so many out there, and, you know, it's like looking at this guy. It's like you looking at this, this that Jesus looking at this guy and other people seeing him, and they see the damage he's doing. They want to help. No matter what they do, they even try to tie his hands up and bind him, and he still can't break out of whatever he's going through. And we have children and grandchildren that are doing this, and and people that we know that are enslaved and, and just in bondage to so many things that are just destroying their lives. Now, we should understand, of course, that just because somebody is in bondage doesn't mean they're demon-possessed. I would, I would say to you, the number one cause of becoming in bondage is first getting caught up in sin and then sticking to it. Yes, there's demon possession that still exists. That's another sermon altogether. 
But a lot of the times we're in bondage or people we know we're in bondage is because of a decision they made at one point in their life. Not, not all. There are some exceptions to this. Or somebody made a decision for them. But I want to tell you that even though we can become, we can end up in bondage because of a demon, like we said, or, or something can get into us, most likely, in all probability, it is sin. And I'll tell you that all sin leads to bondage. Not just the big sins. You know, what is sin? What is sin? Separation from God, right? It separates us from God. There is no one sin. We can't, we can't stack it up and say, well, I, don't, I only do this sin, but this guy does this sin, and it's way out here, and this is crazy. And you're separated from God, which means you either are or you are not. So when we talk about sin and we say, well, because, you know, let's just clear the air there. And I, I, right now, every one of you has, has sinned, will sin, I have. We, we will. It, it's, we are until we are perfected. But... Our advocate, the Holy Spirit, can go on our behalf, and when we accept Jesus Christ, we have the ability to go to the Father and ask for forgiveness of anything that we do. But sin is here. So we can't minimize it, and, and we don't like to talk about it, but it's here, and we, we can deal with it. All sin, though, leads to bondage. Yes, even the little ones will eventually start taking over and start changing who you are. And it's gradual. I've been, I've been listening to this series. Uh, I've been studying a lot on time. And I'm going to be doing a complete sermon in the spring on time. Not on time, because I'm never on time. But I'm going to do it on the subject of time. And one of the things that's interesting about time and Patterns that we develop, you know, if you want to lose weight, like I always need to. I mean, I just, everybody wants to, I'll just use weight because we're all kind of, in one way or another, obsessed by it. But if you want to lose weight and you start a diet today and you exercise this week and then another day goes by, it's, well, I'm a little tired today, I'm a little sore, um, I can skip this one. And that kind of makes sense, right? If you skip one, it's not going to hurt you. But what happens is when you skip, start skipping things, you minimize the impact of doing a little at a time. You're saying, if this little thing that I didn't do today, it can't be that big of a deal because I'll just do it. And then what happens is you start putting that in the back of your head, and I'm jumping ahead till the spring, but you put that, put that in the back of your head, and all of a sudden, all these little things that you didn't do now have added up to a year's worth of not doing something. Sin is similar to that. You just start diving into a little thing at a time, a little white lie here, this or that. It ends up in bondage unless you are, for, you are just removed from that. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, you're going to be a slave, a obedient slave to something. You are. And depending on what you're a slave to, it's going to have different consequences for you. No one starts out saying, you know, my goal in life is to become a slave to sin. But yet so many people end up there. No one starts out to be controlled by sin either, but it happens. It does. 
I'm not talking, I'm not saying this doesn't happen in our church, you know, because we're all perfect. When we walk in here, we're here every Sunday, basically. And, you know, we come in here, it's because we, we got it. We know. We, we got it. We're good. No, we don't. We don't. And we strive for it. And you come, and I, and I come, and we, we get before the Father, and we ask, and we, we seek, and that's, that's what we need to be doing. God presented this picture to us in, in his word of this man, and it's very graphic and descriptive of this person who is in bondage by a legion of demons, and it's, it's not pretty. I would not want to be walking my dog at that point at night, and this guy comes screaming out, bloodied, with dragging chains. I would, I would freak out. If my dog was with me, if you know Jovi, she's five pounds, less than five pounds, she would try to attack that, and it wouldn't be good. But it's scary, and it's graphic, and that's what we got to start looking at some of the things that might, we might be involved in, is that's how we look inside when we struggle, and, when, and, and, and people that know you start seeing you and, and seeing that you've changed, and all of a sudden, they just they can't put their finger on it, but something about you has changed and they try to help. And maybe we'll go back to the analogy of kids or grandkids or even parents, maybe that have fallen into an addictive relationship with whatever drug or paraphernalia you could think of. And you know, they're, and and you do everything you can to try. And, And you would, you would do every, if you could take your son or daughter that's struggling and lock them in their bedroom for a year and just slide food under the doors, nothing's going to come in. I'm, that will help, but it will not, most likely not deliver them from what is causing this. It's important that we understand that. We can keep people from going out to get drunk. We can keep people from going, um, hanging out with the wrong crowd. That'll, that'll work in a short term, but in the long term, it's a sin problem. And the only cure is through Jesus Christ, the deliverer. So in walks Jesus into this situation with this crazy guy, you know, bloodied, and, and it's, it's horrible. It's a hopeless situation. Everybody's tried in that town. Everybody has tried to help this man. Probably some of it was for their own benefit. That I don't want this guy, you know, attacking anybody. Some of them felt compassion for him. Oh, if we, you know, we, we don't want him to get hurt. What can we do? We've tried every single thing, and everything that we do doesn't work. And that's the point. Because we can only do so much. In this case, they probably prevented this guy from doing a lot more damage than if they hadn't even tried. But we can only do so much, and the rest of it has to be done when Jesus walks in. Jesus walks in. He doesn't go away. He didn't look at this person and say, well, I'm not going to touch that. That's too much for me. He walks in. He doesn't think this man is too far gone. And here's where it gets really interesting. Jesus doesn't see the same thing that we see with our human eyes when he looks at a situation like this. He sees it differently. He sees a child of God who is suffering. And we've talked about this before. And in today's day and age where everybody's at each other's on, on, on their last nerve, we don't want to see people that way. We want to see people with our human eyes because it feels better to us. You know, we, we, oh, I don't like them. 
everyone, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll step down right now and walk out that door and go to Dunkin' Donuts and get two pumpkin, donut, two pumpkin donuts, and I'll eat there and I'll be fine. But you tell me if I'm wrong that not every human being on this planet is a child of God. I don't care what they've done, what they're doing today. They are a child of God. Go back to the parent. As I know some of you personally are dealing with kids or grandkids or you know of kids and grandkids that are suffering. They are still your kids and grandkids. You can't just put them aside and say, uh, if you do, I feel that's a terrible thing to do. But I understand why you would in the humans, humanly speaking. But God doesn't. God is greater than us, and God looks at every single life on this planet right now in this instance and says, they're all mine. Church, what are you going to do to show them that they're mine? Are you going to look the other way? Are you going to pass judgment? Are you going to look and say somebody's too far gone and you know, this, there's no hope for this person? When we, are, when we encounter people who are in bondage, and struggling with things. And we, us, our, hu- our human nature. And we tend to judge them based on their present situation. We, we come up, if we don't speak it, we think it. I honestly believe this. It's easy to do. And we always have the easy answer, at least in our head. You know, all they need to do is just stop. If you're doing drugs, just stop buying the drugs and there you go. If, you're, if, you're, if you have an alcohol problem, like a problem, just don't buy alcohol. Don't go to a bar. Piece of cake. All they need is to stop doing what they're doing. Or, you know what? I, I know their life is tough. I know they're struggling. But you know what? They kind of deserve this because they've chosen this. I would tell you there are a couple of problems with that thinking. One is you don't know what led them to that place. And a lot of times they are led there by trauma. Sometimes they stumble into it, but like I said, it only takes a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then there's bondage. Sin always leads to bondage if you don't repent. The second thing is they don't need to hear another empty suggestion like, you know, you just need to stop doing drugs. Don't do drugs. There was a campaign in the 80s, I think, that they had something like that. Don't do drugs. Every commercial was, and that's a good thing to say. But it will not work for most people. They already know they shouldn't be doing it. They already know there's something underlying that keeps going and they crave it and they crave it. And we always talk about the heavy sins and drugs, but there's other things that we can do too that maybe we're just, maybe it's just something simple that you covet. You covet things. Well, that's not as bad. It's the same thing. You're bonded to it if, it if it consumes you. But let's look at how Jesus handled this. Jesus did not condemn the man. He did not cast judgment on the man. Note carefully the wording here, and I'll read from three different um, versions of the Bible. King James Version, Jesus says, Come out of the man, he said to the evil spirit. New International Version, he says, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And the message, which is not really a translation, but more of a, um, what do you call it? Dot commentary, yeah, something like that. Paraphrase, thank you. Message says, out, get out of this man. This is what Jesus said. 
Notice what he says. He commands the evil spirit to come out. Jesus knows the true issue. He didn't tell the man, well, you need to stop, you know, scraping yourself with rocks. You should probably find a better place to stay than near the tombs at night. You're freaking out everybody in town. You should probably do that. Jesus doesn't, he knows where the real problem is. Jesus didn't say, you know what, if you changed your life around and just loved people, you wouldn't be in this mess. That's not what this man needed. Do you really think somebody that is sitting there carving themselves up with jagged rocks really just has to just make a decision, oh, well, this hurts, so I should stop doing that. It's deeper than that. Too often we look at others with, not with the eyes of God, but with our own. We see that, you know, that, oh, there's that loser that's always out there begging for change every week. You know, we should just get a job. He looks young enough. He's got to be, what, 30 years old? He's out there. If he can get out there every day and he can walk around and, and collect change, and, you know, he's, we don't know the background. Not saying that that doesn't happen and people take advantage, that does happen. But what's our first reaction to that? Or we see an addict and say, oh, that, that person is just messing up everybody's life around him. He should, just, he should just go somewhere else and not screw up everybody's life. And on and on it goes and all these thoughts that we have and they seem logical and they seem like, oh, this is the right way to think. But then we look at our lives and, and we have this little sin here and there, but yet we make excuses for it and say it's not that bad. It will get bad. Sin leads to bondage every single time if it goes unchecked. But what does Jesus see in this man towards the end? Jesus sees this man while everybody runs away. He sees a man with a desperate need. And he sees a man that has potential. Potential. Really? I mean, the best he could probably hope for is somebody will you know, give him some medication. You know, we, we've, we've come a long way in medication. Give them something that will calm his anxiety, help him sleep, you know, put him in a, an induced state so at least he's not scratching himself. And we've, we've made him better because of that. That's the most potential we could hope for for this person because he's lived this way. We don't know how long, most of his life. Right, so the best, if we can just get him somewhere and he can be in a bed and quiet and not hurting himself, that's the potential he has. Potential. This, this guy, really? But we jump down to the end of the passage that we read in verse 20 in the message says this. It says, the man, this is after Jesus said, no, I'm sorry, you can't come with me. But you healed me. You did something that nobody else could ever do. I, I want to follow you. Who wouldn't? But Jesus says, I want you to stay here. Not only just stay here, but I want you to go and tell people in your town. In other words, go back so they can see you. They're going to be scared at you at first. You should probably clean yourself up a little bit because they don't know what to expect. But go and see them. And right after he said that, it says, the man went back and began to preach in the 10 towns area about what Jesus had done for him. And I like how the message ends it. It says, he was the talk of the town for the right reasons this time. This man who man rejected and said he's best we can do is just hope he doesn't kill himself or somebody else. Jesus looked, saw the problem, the real problem, 
And that's what I want you to understand today because so many times we come to the Lord or we ask him, God, I need healing from this. I just, I don't know why this is happening. Do we ever focus and take some time to look at the real problem? Do we ever admit that we started down a path that we shouldn't have in the first place and it's gotten us here? That's a tough thing though, right? We don't want to ever admit that well, it's not something I did. I mean, it's something everybody else is doing, and I didn't really do. You know, I did this thing once or twice, and I, but, you know, God, I just need some help. Jesus, our deliverer, our true deliverer, if you ask him, he will identify why you are struggling. you got to be willing to accept that. you got to be, be willing to accept that you ain't perfect, and some of us don't like to hear that I ain't perfect because, we just feel like, well, I'm, I'm good. You know, I, I look at everybody else around me. I'm, I'm pretty good. It's not about being pretty good. It's about being honest and, and, and facing what is holding you back for real. From a pitiful, pathetic, possessed pauper to a powerful preacher, this man became because Jesus identified what was causing his issue. So no matter how wicked, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this, no matter how wicked and vile and dirty and mean you've been, Jesus can still see the person that you can become and the one that he created you to be. That is never, I don't care if you're 85, 90 years old and you've lived your whole life bound up in chains and cutting yourself, not, you know, not literally, but figuratively. And at 90-something, at, at 99 years old, you, you ask God, you know, what, what happened? Why am I here? He can reveal it to you. He can change you. He can change you. You've got to be willing to admit what God already knows. While others judge and cast their verdicts, Jesus will walk into your life and deliver you. And you know what? That might stun a lot of people. And a lot of people might say, this can't be real. I know this person. He's just going to end up or she's just going to end up right back to where they started. But I'm telling you, when Jesus gets a hold of you, when Jesus shows you what is causing it and you deal with it with him, because I'll be honest, God doesn't miraculously take everything away. What an easy life we would have if whenever we were struggling with something, it's like, God, I know I got myself here, but can you take this? Yeah, okay, good. I'm good. It can happen, but not very often. Sometimes we have to go through a lot of things to get there, but we have to identify exactly what it is first. Jesus is our deliverer. He walks into our lives and sets us free. He clothes, clothes us with robes and takes off those dirty garments and all those things and changes us forever. He gives us a new label, a new name. He gave this guy the, um, a new label. No longer was he the talk of a town because he was crazed, but now he's the talk of the town because he so eloquently spoke about who Jesus is, how he changed him, and look at me. That just had to be a miraculous transformation in that whole town. It must have affected the whole town. And that's the other point. You're, you have no idea how, how far-reaching you, you are with people. And I'm telling you, if people know one side of you and another side of you is known by an, another person, it's, it's not going to be very healthy for you. But I'm telling you, when you change and you give your life over for Christ, and he changes you from the inside out, you will have a new name. You will have a new identity. 
and you will be able to make a difference in your town. No longer are you the sinner or drunkard or adulterer, et cetera, fill in the blank. But now you are redeemed by the true deliverer, deliverer, Jesus Christ. You've got a new label. Don't be ashamed of what's happened in the past because it brought you to, to where you are. And it gave God the chance to change you into who he destined you to be from the beginning. But you know, and I'll close with this. I already said that once. I was teasing Anthony earlier. He was teasing me. He said, at the end of the sermon next week, I'll say, I'll close with this an hour before I'm ready to close. Because that is what pastors do. I, I try to be cognizant of that. But I'm going to close this again for the last time, for the second time. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say completely. This is what happens when I, when, I, when I get off book. So maybe I won't end with that. I won't. I completely lost it. <laughs> completely lost it because I was trying to be funny. But listen, <laughs> this for me, I, this studying this this week, it just really brought me to a place where sometime, and, and, and I'm sure this is just me, but I, I will pray for things that I already know why they're happening, but I just want Jesus to take it because I'm too lazy to do the work. I'm too, I'm too lazy to just, you know, God, you know, I, I know this, but, you know, I, I won't do it again. But if you, if you take this from me or if you give me this, you know, I'm, I'm good. Sometimes Jesus can do that. Sometimes God will do that for us. But often we still struggle. And then we say, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? You haven't asked me to look deep enough yet. Are you willing to go there with me? I'm telling you, when you do that, it's, it's, it's not fun. If you've ever been to a place where you had to really soul search and go through and, and think about things that you struggle with and you look and you see what the ugliness is, once you get to that point, it gets so much better because you've identified. Jesus has looked into your heart with you and he says, don't worry. We got this. I'm here now that you've seen it. So don't be afraid of the three-letter word sin. It's common to who? Everyone. So if somebody comes up to you and is like, well, I'm not a sinner because, you know, I've been a bishop in a church for 50 years. And, you know, I've, you know, I'm, every year I get better and better. That's hogwash. That's not true. We are all fallible all the time until Jesus comes back and takes us up and we are perfected. In the meantime, we will struggle. And it's foolish to, to ignore it. And I know we don't like to do that. It's, it's, it's tough. And I'm the first one. I, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to go and, and realize that I'm not perfect. Like I've told you before, I'm pretty close to perfect. You all know that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting there. But I'll never get there at the same time. So listen, I, I appreciate you guys being here this morning. Uh, I know these talks can be a little bit heavy, but they're truth, and we need to hear them, and we'll never stop teaching that here. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward next week to Anthony. Um, I can't wait to hear the podcast. Uh, we will be on a beach somewhere, so I'll be thinking about you. <laughs> and uh, Derek from Winchester will be here to lead worship. Thank you, Louisa, for coming today and, and blessing us with your gifts and, and bringing... And bringing uh, awesome music to us today and 
I'm so I'm so thankful for this church and everybody and for Winchester. I mean, for those of you that may be here for the first time, we are part of Winchester Church of God. We are a campus here that started almost almost seven years ago in March. Wow, seven years. Um, but we they Winchester provides so much for us, and um, we are blessed to be able to at any point reach out and say, "Hey, we need some help." And with my daughter-in-law Alexis being um, having a, a kid last week, a little boy named Julian. Um, she's going to take a few weeks off. She, she said, well, maybe I'll come next week. This coming week. We'll see. I mean, I, I've never given birth, but I'm sure some of you have. I don't think that's realistic. Um, but anyway, she's, uh, she's recovering. But Winchester is such a great resource for us, um, and they help us out a lot, and we're just honored to be here and serving in this community with you all, because we are a team. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for meeting us here this morning. And Father, we, we know it's difficult sometimes to look in real deep in our own hearts. We're afraid of what we're going to see. And that's normal, because that's who we are as human beings. But Father, I just want everybody here, including myself, to realize that the deeper we dig, and the ugliness that gets uncovered, Father, you are right there to call it out. And Father, we trust in you, and we know that you will do this. We've seen your example, even through the word that we read today together, Father. We've seen you do this. And Father, we trust you, and we know that just giving that back to you and saying, I can't do this any longer. Here's the real issue. Father, once we take that step, then everything changes for us. And that we start to become the creation that you intended us to be, not what the enemy has tried to divert us from. And Father, I thank you again for this church family who who has continually blessed Michelle and I and, and others in this community as well, Father. I just thank you for their support, Father, and for their prayers. I just pray that as we leave today, that you just bless them and their families. Father, you meet their needs, Father. And and even those who are struggling with the things we talked about today with children and grandchildren who are in bondage, and maybe even some of us here that are in bondage, Father, we pray that, Lord, you just point out and you call out what's there, and we give it to you. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you so much for bringing us here in Warren County to Front Royal to meet the needs of our community. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you.